Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. This is a sleepy Sunday episode. Uh, uh, uh. Just getting off just rusty thoughts that yeah. I had going. Gooses, Some... ganders. Sorry, geese and ganders. Cows, bulls. We're talking about all of that today. Farm episode. Oh, man. Out on the farm? I'd love it. Wacky. Was it uh, Funny Farm? This is the Funny Farm. Yeah. Dr. Dementia? Dr. Dementia. No, sorry, Dr. Demento. That's who sings. Dr. Demento is like a uh, a, a radio personality who uh, had a had a song, I think, called The Funny Farm. Oh, it was, I was thinking, I think there's a Chevy Chase movie called Funny Farm. Yeah, he's I've got, seen Funny Farm. I haven't seen it. I know on the cover he's got an egg on his head. Well, today I feel like Dr. Dementia. So <laughs> let's get it started. Uh, welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 127. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. In our double feature this week, They Live by Night, the 1948 film by Nicholas Ray, and Red Rock West, 1993's film. Huh? The 1993 <laughs> film by John Dahl. Malcolm, you picked out this selection, this double feature. Why don't you tell us, take a, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit. Sure, take a peek. I don't know if you peel a curtain. I'm really mixing my metaphors on this week's episode. But uh, forewarning, we did talk before we started about how this was a lazy Sunday episode. And I think that's going to be more than true. Yeah, you know, we're just waking up from our Sunday naps. And, you know, we we just hit hit the mics, you know, right when we woke up. So that our, like, you know, our dreams kind of come through in this episode. It's like 7, 8 a.m. We we all go out to brunch together. We get bottomless mimosas in bed by 10. And then we wake up and we podcast it around like one. It's a very Los Angeles lifestyle. Of course. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I guess I, uh, I just, I really wanted to do, uh, they live by night, you know? Uh, And I was just kind of thinking like, uh, you know, how do these movies connect or whatever? I think, you know, sometimes we pick the movies because they have a connective tissue. And this time I was like, let me see the connection form in front of me. Mm. Um, because <laughs> they're they're only very tangentially. Re- I mean, yeah, they're both kind of like on the run noir yeah, films, which yeah. I, which was kind of the theme for the last time I chose the episode. Yeah. I realized kind of like rambling men, western cowboys. But I guess this is kind of like uh, we got like some you know both protagonists here kind of going into crime tentatively. You know mm. what I mean? You know, kind of people involved in like this underworld, but they don't they don't quite have the askew morals of everyone in them. You know what I mean? They're kind of a uh, a pure hearts surrounded by, you know, a bunch of uh, connivers, so yeah. to speak. And I don't sometimes it feels like, you know, that's us in a way, you know what I mean? Just pure of heart. <laughs> the only pure hearted film critics. Pretty yeah. much. You know what I mean? You see, you'll be reading a review and then, you know, you'll see someone take like a personal shot at someone, you know, or I, I don't do that. You know what I mean? I don't read reviews either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I would never take a personal shot at someone. No, no. But yeah, these, these are very sympathetic films about sensitive gangsters. And, sensitive uh, gangsters. Well, actually, I would say Red Rock West isn't exactly sympathetic, uh, but like, I, I think that's kind of the distinction between them. Yeah. It's like, 
uh, it, it's it's such a compassionate film. They live by night, and it's such a romantic film uh, that even like uh, what, what's that old timey reviewer's name? I already forgot. Ba- ba- Bowser Crowley or whatever. <laughs> Alabaster Crowley or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 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 he is one of the big hitters back then. Yeah, he he was like uh, you know this film's a little too nice to its criminals. You know you got you got to lay down the law. They need to be put behind <laughs> bars. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, th- I think Red Rock West definitely takes that that grit of the noir feeling mm-hmm. a lot further and, uh, you know, uh, kind of gets rid of the romantic notions in the first film. But the first film, They Live by Night, we, we had all seen this one before, correct? I think so. Yeah. Uh, JT, I, I, how do you feel about this movie? What does this movie make you feel? I love this movie, and it makes me feel like a warm uh, kind of love. I mean, it's... Uh... I, I don't know. Nick Ray's the king. Every hold on one second. I'm gonna fucking <laughs> the fourth Mike Scooter has a very loud fucker. bone this week. <laughs> yeah, usually we'll, we'll let her jingle around, but the bone the bone's the, a lot. The bone too is far. a little much, you know. And like, there's some peanut butter at the end of it. Oh. She's she's really <laughs> determined to get to the bone. But uh, Malcolm, how yeah. how do you how does this movie make you feel? Well, you know, it kind of makes me feel like I fell in love all over. Again. Wow. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of like with Nicholas Ray, right? There's like a romanticism kind of in all of his movies. And this one's kind of like the more traditional way. You know, man loves a woman, I guess. But like something like, I don't know, other movies, it kind of comes out in like almost stranger ways. But this one, you know, I think it's his first uh, feature. You know what I mean? And I think it's kind of like a good almost thesis for what, you know, he's doing. Yeah. And there's a lot of things Ray is doing here that kind of like... Uh, ups the sentiment you know and i i think one of my i love how young the protagonists are you know what i mean and it kind of uh adds to kind of like the the doomedness of their love you know what i mean it's like you know it's so sweet you know kind of and like ray pays good attention to you know to the romance between the two leads but i think ultimately he's kind of leading you down this path where you know you know what's the bad guys don't get away in old movies, you know what I mean? If you if you did a crime, you'll pay for it in a movie, in an old movie. So, uh, and I think Ray's kind of playing with that notion and kind of leads you all the way to the end, and uh, only to break your heart. But uh, I mean, what how how did this movie make you feel, Eddie? Well, actually, I want to get back to JT because I asked him how True. it made him feel, and he deflected. And as like the group <laughs> therapist, <laughs> when my patient deflects a question like that, I really need to hammer it home and follow up. Well. I uh, I like a lot of what Malcolm was saying, and especially about how like how doomed our two lovers are. It's like forecast right um, from the beginning, like just with the little like title card shit that happens. It's like, oh, these two innocent young lovers embroiled in a world of crime. Yeah. They didn't even know any innocence. And like there's so many points in the film there where it's like, you can see them like consciously fucking up or making a decision that's like, I don't know, the irony is like a little like Shakespearean in a way. And just like them getting like married in a hurried way and just like how that's kind of like awkward and them like or Farley Granger like intimidating the priest like a little bit. It's, uh, I don't know, you can see their mistakes along the way and you know it's not going to lead them well. Mm-hmm. And I also like a movie that doesn't lie to me. The name is They Live by Night. This is a pretty dark damn movie. Yeah. There are a lot of scenes in like an intense darkness and it looks uh, 
absolutely beautiful. What a great title, by the way. They live yeah. by night. Great a studio title. mandated kind of title too, because it was based on the movie or the book uh, "Thieves Like Us," which Robert oh. Altman later would adapt and use the same title. This uh, was made when RKO was making some more, you know, out there risky pictures, and so they gave Nick Ray a chance to do what he wanted and gave him complete creative control and it's pretty much the only time in the studio system that ray had like absolute final say on everything which is pretty rare for that system obviously uh and then it just like sat on the shelf for two years because then howard hughes bought rko and was not that into this one i guess and then he uh kind of out of spite released it in a hurry when uh, <laughs> another film was to come out with these two actors in the lead, which is uh, Kathy O'Donnell and Farley Granger. Uh, so this was like completed in 47, finally released in the States in 49. Uh, most sources are listed as 48 because that's when it premiered in uh, We Britain. But uh, to get into what this film is, uh, so we have Kathy O'Donnell as Kichi and Farley Granger as Bowie, and Howard De Silva as One-Eyed Chickama, and J.C. Hippen as T-Dub. We it's got, one of those movies. Awesome. <laughs> we got a group full of great names. Yeah. We got a good like, baseball lineup full of names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, Abbott and Costello style. You know, you, the, the character's in... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to oh, do it. Who's on first? Yeah. Who's in the movie? Yeah, these movie characters have got some crazy names today. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Anyway, so as JT alluded to, it opens on this prologue, this silent prologue of these two characters, uh, the two lovers with like a black background. And it says, you know, this boy and this girl were never properly introduced to our world, uh, which is like, you know, right from the start, the doomed romance is right there. And when he says boy and girl, the film really means it. You know, these kids look so innocent, despite the fact that, you know, the first proper shot then is a helicopter shot of the three criminals, uh, you know, including Bowie breaking out of jail, uh, driving a car away from jail after breaking out. And first of all, I should say that according to some sources, you know, no one's seen everything, but this was apparently the first time that like an action scene like that was shot with a helicopter. They had used wow. helicopters for like aerial photography of like landscapes and establishing shots in classic Hollywood. But apparently this was the first time they were like tracking actors from a helicopter shot. So big ups to Ray on that because that was also the first scene shot in the production, which means that's the first scene he ever directed, which yeah. is like, holy shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> Off to the races. And yeah. like, and I think, I love kind of like that, you know, silent prologue, you know, you know, with the, the, you know, the captions and whatnot. And then we cut straight to like this, you know, yeah, the helicopter car shot that's just so, I don't know, you know what I mean? It kind of introduces this idea of this romance and then kind of just gives you just this big sweeping shot. It really just puts it right, you know, into the groove of the movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right away, he's like laying down the law about, you know, what kind of characters these are. These are dark characters fucking characters other than the kid Bowie who killed someone you know which obviously takes away the innocence of his youthful look but you know that face is just so innocent that (laughs) you can't help but feel that way about him and he's talking about how some other guy like got off on a murder because he admitted to it way later or something like that you know he tells some story about he probably read in the paper or something and it's like 
he's holding out hope that he can be redeemed eventually. And through this whole movie, he is the reluctant gangster. Like he does not want to do any of this. Even before he falls in love with Kichi at first sight, he does not want to be involved with these guys at all beyond getting broken out of jail. It is, it is like kind of the vibe between uh, Bowie and like, you know, his two, you know, older uh, criminals. It's kind of like when you get a new job at work and you're working with kind of like these older people and like you <laughs> kind of have to let them, you know, kind of spin their wheels and, you know, talk or whatever. It's like, this isn't the ideal situation, right? But this is, this is what I need right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is what where I need to go. And uh, I don't like, I think what's... A, you know, kind of a strength of this movie is kind of it's like cavalcade of shady characters and kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, you know, some are more shady than others or whatever. You know, some people have kind of halfway good intentions, but, you know, not, you know, they're not going to stick their neck out for anyone. It's kind of, I don't know, the different type of people in the underworld. Like, you know, you have your, you know, more cutthroat guys. And then you have, I don't know, kind of like the priest character who's kind of like on the outskirts telling people like, oh, I could fix you up here. I could yeah. get you there. You know, I could get you this car. And like when when the characters, you know, kind of escape the, these kind of characters or kind of when you get like these kind of very intimate, romantic kind of just conversation scenes and like how those are contrasted with like, you know, Bowie just in a room with just like some 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 lifelong thugs, you know, talking about, you know, oh, this and that, you know what I mean? In in this kind of romance is kind of like an escape from that as well. Yeah, yeah like there's such a a beautiful, naive innocence to the scenes of their romance. Like I think early on one scene that really stuck out to me is when he's giving the watch to Kichi at first. And there's like like that like 40s style of innocent like hemming and hawing about it where he's like oh I got this like thing and she's like would you like to give it to me like asking mm-hmm. to like would you do, do you are you sure you want to give me a gift and they just I don't know are both figuring out like how to be in the world mm-hmm. so transparently there but then you, that will be like contrasted with scenes where uh, Bowie will be like just I don't know you like Farley Granger's like face is very clearly young and innocent, but there are other times when he needs to, where he like can really like his presence can dominate and he can really take control. Yeah. I really love the contrast of this film. As you guys have both said, like between the romantic scenes and the crime scenes, you know, you get uh, the, the introduction when they're first holing up at that house with Kichi and her old man and uh, the introduction to that romance. And then you have the first bank robbery, which goes off perfectly and, you know, shows the, the competency of these criminals where they burn the getaway car or, you know, explode the getaway car, I guess, uh, or no, they just burn it, right? Yeah, and I think it explodes. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my <laughs> movies mixed up because I was going to say, yeah, it's like something you see in like stuff like Heat, you yeah. know? It, it, it's something that just keeps on giving to the crime cinema. I don't know, just the whole lovers on the run middle segment of this is so great as they... Uh, let's see they obviously stop to get married at like a bus stop they're on a greyhound bus and like Mm -hmm. get off to get married at this $20 roadside chapel (laughs) where it's all so informal and there's no musical score during that whole scene and I don't know the way Ray directs it is like so cold and you could see so much like fear in both of the characters faces despite the passion between them you know guiding them through this whole thing no, yeah, I think that's like in terms of like the acting 
in like kind of just the facial expressions throughout this movie. It's kind of, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, on their faces. And like, I guess that is like kind of their journey. They're kind of uncertainly moving forward as like these, uh, you know, these, these people who, have you know, always kind of been in like the criminal underworld. I think that's another like kind of, I think, you know what I mean? Cause like you think of directors making movies about criminals, Michael Mann, you know what I mean? Kind of like in the, into the psychology, you know, you have the classic, like, you know, cops are similar to gangsters too. You know what I mean? You never thought of this. Whereas this one's kind of like, um, really emphasizes like how being a criminal really puts you on the outside looking in, in terms of like, you know, living a normal life. You know, I think there's even a line that says, you know, one of the older criminals says, you know, you got to act like normal people or whatever. And like that, like their experience is almost like kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's like, they're kind of like, you know, with them being so uncertain, it's kind of like everything's so alien to them. It's kind of like they're like, I don't know, there's like a Martian-like quality to like how they, they operate through these things, you know what I mean, with their kind of uh, uncertainty. And like, I, I think the wedding scene is a, a great example of that because like, you know, these people running the thing kind of almost criminals themselves, you know what I mean? And it's like Ray, you know, fills the room with like just like these characters or whatever, kind of just sneaking around. And, uh, like the I, two witnesses that yeah. just work there mm-hmm. to be witnesses, and like he's like, yeah, you tip both of them a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just kind of, uh, I don't know. He's good at like having these cavalcade of like different characters that you meet in this underworld, but not really sensationalizing it. Kind of giving the sober reality to it. You don't think much of my way of marrying people, do you? I sure don't. Well, me neither. But I'm giving folks what they want. My way of thinking, folks ought to have what they want, as long as they can pay for it. After their wedding and their honeymoon, uh, you have a great scene of them. A lot of this movie is like driving scenes, and you mm-hmm. have a great scene of them right after the wedding, driving around where uh, she says, like, I don't know much about kissing, you know? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, well, they can't really say, you know, all that much about what goes on on the honeymoon uh, at this point with I the think production code. The listener, I think the listeners know what goes on yeah, during a honeymoon. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I don't. <laughs> hey, you learn one day then. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Chikata, the one-eyed man, uh, tracks them down, and so I, I think they should have changed his name. I think in the novel he's a Native American fella, uh, and so they just don't really address that. I read that also Robert Mitchum wanted to play that role, and then I guess he just like while the film was in development became too big of a star for that Damn. kind of thing. But uh, that that would have been awesome. That would have been great. Yeah. Although this guy gives a good performance. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The way he smokes is great. And just uh, when, when he's visiting their little honeymoon place that has a Christmas tree with ornaments, he's just like flicking the ornaments until they break basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, a he's a very touch. great menacing, menacing presence. That's how, you know, great, like, the youth kind of comes into factor, the difference between a young criminal and an old criminal. Old criminal has accepted, you know, their their uh, position in life. You know, they see a Christmas tree full of ornaments, you know, they'll flick it till it breaks. It's like, he's not, he's not going to try to fool himself until it's like, oh, I could have a house with a wife and, you know, people that care about me. It's like, I'm, I'm just hard-boiled as fuck. I'm going to smoke yeah. a cigar wherever I want. So that's, that's my pleasure now. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you get the classic one last job uh, that Chikata reels him in for, which of course is the one that goes wrong uh, as his legend is kind of looming now. You know, uh, the one eyed man is pissed off because like <laughs> of this crew, Bowie's getting all of the media hype for being the killer, even though he's like the soft one of the group. And th- that's awesome too, just because it's like, I don't know, it's just another undercurrent of this film, the way that crime can be sensationalized in media. And it's like, wait a second, we're watching a, you know, not sensationalized, but a very romanticized crime film right now and a very sympathetic one. So, you know, makes you think a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So they're they're back on the run after that job goes awry and uh, Bowie abandons them. And they, there's such a great like scene where they go to this like nightclub and you have that woman singing, um, the, your red wagon, uh, that, that scene is just great, but it leads to kind of the, the climax that leads to another, it's like, they just keep running away. There's just more people showing up to run away from every, every other scene in this thing until the older woman that you meet at uh, Kichi's house earlier, you know, resurfaces an hour later to call the cops on them and, you know, set up a, set up a sting for the cops to shoot our hero Bowie dead while his now pregnant wife is, you know, just inside on the other side of a wall. Towards the beginning of the movie. I, I I swear she calls a, the older woman who eventually rats on him calls Bowie a jailbait. She which does. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 and then uh, one of funny. the guys calls him jailbait too. <laughs> I mean, hey, Farley Granger, you know, nice, nice piece of ass for the forties, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think like you know Ray kind of using you know like yeah like the f- perpetual motion. A lot of these driving scenes. You know, it's interesting that you say that you know that opening scene was the first scene he shot because of this, like it is like a good exercise in like, you know, kind of a, a driving movie and whatnot. And yeah, it's, it's eventually, you know, I think it just goes to show it's like this lifestyle doesn't let you stop. Mm-hmm. Like right when, you know, he, he settles down, tries to, you know, get a, you know, an old friend to, you know, do him a favor. It's like, that's, that's where he gets kind of get, gets caught up, you know what I mean? That, and that's, what's kind of a sad about you know kind of the doomed romance the young criminal the sensitive thug as we've discussed <laughs> it's like it's uh you you got to be brutal for this lifestyle right yeah. you know you can't stop and like kind of you know what what attracts the audience you know attracts the audience kind of the sensitive side of him you know the all the the great you know kind of conversational scenes you know he should he should have been uh driving you know should have been talking all that much <laughs> but uh you know, that's that's why he meets his unfortunate end. You want to give this one a bullet rating? Uh, four bullets. Great move. JT, any final thoughts in a rating? Um, well, I'm going five bullets. There, there's so many five bullet movies in the Nick Ray catalog. Mm-hmm. Of course, he starts with one. Uh, <laughs> in my book, yeah, I don't know. It's just in terms of the. Uh, the sensitive gangster mindset. It's Nick Ray understands, I think, a lot of like poverty being the source of like crime and leading to that lifestyle. I think that especially plays in a lot here with them being like um, innocence led astray or like that they had in better means they could have uh, strived for something more. I mean, I love what you get of, like, Kichi's background at first. Like, you see her, like, alcoholic dad. Like, the moment he, like, gets a buck, he's, like, coming back to the house shit-faced and, like, crashing his car into shit. Um, and 
there's just like so much atmosphere and detail and like Nick Ray always like his movies fucking move and there's that momentum and like pace there but like with what we're talking about about a lot of driving and like the contrast between like crime and the romance there's so many moments of just like beautiful and tender reflection that take place here whether it's just like having a sandwich on the road or just being like in the car like well, I'm pregnant. We're having a baby. Like, uh, <laughs> I guess he did know something about kissing and how. Yeah, true. <laughs> he took he took the AP classes. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that roadside diner where it's just like the two people behind the counter shouting out tuna salad sandwich, egg salad. That's all we. Or no, tuna salad and ham salad. That's all we have. <laughs> ham salad. Oh. I don't know. So that's just like God. ham and mayonnaise mixed up together. Just make a ham sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Like put a little mayonnaise on it if you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, kind of weird. Kind of yeah. weird. You know, film noir, you always get that. That's one, one of the things. You got to collect all the nasty food at the diners in those movies. You know, the <laughs> ham salad sandwich. I know uh, in Sweet Smell of Success, they go into a diner at one point that has a sign that says like, cream cheese sandwich, 25 cents. <laughs> oh my God. Go, go, into like, go into like a diner in the Midwest in the 1940s must have been... <laughs> Just served absolute dog shit. Yeah. Just, <laughs> people like to romanticize, you know, American diner culture and stuff. But it's like, you, yeah, the, some of that stuff is nasty. It's like a bowl of soup. It's like hot water and pepper or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't know, man. I, I, for some reason, I'm very skeptical of the quality of food during that era. Yeah. When I was reading, uh, and, and this is like way late, this is 30 years later, but I was reading The Friends of Eddie Coyle and like they talk about like this diner that people meet in all the time. I'm like, oh, nice the diner you know it's cold out in boston you go have a cup of coffee eat at the diner and then like i watched the movie and it's like just like a cafeteria lunch line and like just looks like the nastiest food that's been out there for five hours at a time (laughs) i think like up until 20 years ago americans were just eating like just strictly american food and like slop like slop was in the rotation like they would casserole is basically like an elevated form of slop it's yeah. slop you put in a pan i we <laughs> at my dad's house we had sloppy joes for dinner like once a week probably yeah. slop I, I like a sloppy joe though. i like a sloppy joe i haven't had one of those in a minute uh i guess one four bullets uh strictly on a food level <laughs> <laughs> uh no i think this is great it's like more direct than the other Nick Ray movies I've seen mm-hmm. in its passion and its sympathy for, you know, the underworld. And I love, <laughs> you know, we didn't really talk about the visual style outside of the helicopter shots, but the way the interiors are, interiors are staged are like so amazing, you know, and using that confined space compared to the wide open exteriors of the driving scenes. And I don't know, Nick Ray had it figured out from day one. Uh, we'll be right back on extended clip. Are you interested in that? What's it to you? It's jailbait. He's just a kid. Yeah. That's what I said once. Maybe you'll be lucky. Maybe they won't send him back to prison. Maybe he'll get himself killed first. Welcome back to extended clip after our off-mic review in depth of The Many Saints of Newark, which we will not talk about on pod. That's a sideways thumb. Yeah, not some things down. are just for us. Some things are can't just we for have our friendship off air? <laughs> I know everyone's clamoring for it. So. <laughs> uh, it's Malcolm in the middle. Yeah. Everyone's favorite segment. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you? 
It's fine. It's fine. Can't okay. com- you know? But uh, you know, well, you can complain. I'm always here. <laughs> but I don't. I don't want to. I want to. I want to focus on the positive, but and ignore the <laughs> negative until it's too late. But uh, unhinged movie starring Russell Crowe, directed by a man. I'm not. I I don't remember the man's name, but hopefully he has a good future in Hollywood because. You know, t- talking about life being unfair, Unhinged is a little bit about that. It's uh, Derek Bordy. Derek Bordy. Shout out Bordy. Um, Unhinged is a story of a man who kills his uh, divorced wife, his ex-wife, and uh, his child um, because you know the it's it doesn't really you know uh, wind up the story too much. It kind of just starts. And uh, he's having a bad day already. You know, you kill your your spouse or whatever. And then, um, you know, he's zoning out in traffic and someone gives him the honk. You know what I mean? Like, come on, come on. But the honk was a little too harsh for his liking. He thought the warning honk was a little too harsh. So he decides to follow the woman and the child who honked them and basically dedicate the rest of his day to ruining their lives. And uh, I got to say, this is, this is one of the... Uh, like in terms of like an actor kind of huffing and puffing, mm-hmm. taking a movie on its back. I mean, Crow in his pickup truck, fat and angry, just stewing at every <laughs> little ever every little slight that comes his way is just it's it's so much fun to watch. And uh, you know, I you know, I, I guess I, I kind of underselling the direction here. It's like it's a, a movie that knows what it is. It's short. It's ninety minutes. It has uh, a real gruesome sense to it a real kind of a real bitter movie a real bitter movie but i mean there's just enough fun enough uh kind of uh you know a lot of the movie is a lot of car stuff a lot of driving so a lot of a lot of traffic play a lot of uh crashes you know what i mean some some gruesome car crashes and i i just i had a lot of fun with this and you know i'm, I'm gonna unpack this into you know something something bigger i saw casino royale the 06 movie uh, AMC AMC Stubbs shout out to AMC Stubbs oh, man I wish I I, I rewatched yeah. that in my room yesterday I wish yeah. I went to the screening okay well maybe I and I was kind of it's not a bad movie but I was just kind of underwhelmed by it because I'd never seen a Bond movie before and some people say that's the best Craig one I don't know kind of like the generalness of Bond kind of the suaveness and I was just like I really just want to angry Russell fat Russell Crowe in a pickup truck like that's what's cool to me understand at this, at, at, this, at this point you know what I mean I guess I don't know something that I, I, I guess I think I saw those movies back to back it's like it's, an English versus American cultural yeah. difference the cool <laughs> the cool American guy is a fat pissed off guy in a pickup truck well, the thing is, like from my limited experience, Daniel Craig's Bond is kind of the unhinged Bond. Yeah. Like it, it's the more like direct action kind of thing where he's mm-hmm. not like totally suave the whole time. He's just yeah. like fucking shit up constantly. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's shown like uh, it's demonstrated in that first uh, chase scene where it's like just mm-hmm. that one shot of the duties chasing doing like a parkour move over <laughs> yeah, a wall and then he just like breaks through the wall kind of yeah that, that's not exactly like what you get out of bond movies in general so it's like sure you might need a little more context for like what it's saying about the character and series in general oh, it's like marvel yes <laughs> <laughs> yes it's like marvel you have to watch all the bond movies before no i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry that was <laughs> no i was yeah. surprised by how much i really liked that on yeah. rewatch because yeah. i saw it opening weekend in 2006 Damn. 
uh, <laughs> with my buddy. Uh, and like I, I went to the next one also in 2007, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, whenever Quantum of Solace came out. And I hadn't really thought about James Bond since those two opening weekend screenings. So I was surprised by how much I liked it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just think the action set pieces are really like stellar. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, they really guide the film. And uh, I don't know. There, There's, I think... For as many shitty genre movies that come out now that are like about grief or whatever, yeah. I feel like you do feel a lot of the pain of, uh, you know, Craig in that movie in the third act when it's like compared to the other Bond movies I've seen, at least where the dudes are just fucking the Bond girl who's around for the second <laughs> half. Uh, yeah. he, he really does feel an affection for Eva Green's character. And so her death is very impactful. And apparently that kind of sets up the other ones. But I don't remember Quantum of Solace and haven't seen the yeah. other three. So, yeah. No, I, I guess I think it's maybe it was like kind of tone and posture because like, like the action sequences are very good in that movie. But some, something about when they get to like the casino table or whatever, I'm just like dead bored. It's like Damn. like like Mickelson. Like I like I like Mickelson, but he just kind of just chills there. I don't know. Maybe I have a bad read on this. I don't know. I don't know. But uh Unhinged. Go see Unhinged, starring Russell Crowe. It came out last year. I wish I got to see it in theaters. But uh, did you like the scene where Mads Mikkelsen was, uh, you know, whipping his balls? Yeah, no, that was great. That was great. I was, I was get, I was getting into that. But I don't know. There's just, I, there's just, there's just, there's something missing. Because like that's the thing. Like I, I kind of generally like it, but there's just some sort of aspect that maybe I can't even put my finger on that yeah. just kind of It's a weirdly me. shaped movie narratively. Yeah. Like I, I really wasn't expecting that. Like you have your three acts or whatever, but I feel like it kind of has an extra act almost. Yes. Like you have yes. a low point and then you have a recovery and then you have another like 20 minute action scene after that. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I found it very like strangely uh, structured on a narrative level, but in a way that I took to. Yeah. But hey. We're we're only disagreeing by one star here. True. <laughs> JT, have you seen anything good recently? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, last night, in fact, I went to the movie theater and I saw a double feature of House and uh, Encounters of the Spooky Kind Two. And Encounters of the Spooky Kind Two, as I told you gentlemen beforehand off mic, I was doing a little bit of nodding. Like I'm an I'm I'm getting up there in age, and like you know. <laughs> Any, All that smack catches up <laughs> to you. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of smack, we've the been op- watching The Wire. He's just like scene at the beginning of that. I honestly, <laughs> sometimes when I'm watching The Wire, I know this is a completely inappropriate takeaway, but it's like heroin. I don't. Know. It has to be pretty good if you're ruining your life. Like, yeah, I. May, this this is a discussion for a later time. There's benefits. But, <laughs> um, but there is some opium use in Encounters of the Spooky Kind too, which is great. It starts off the the film, um, but it's just a fun, uh, wild time. I have never seen like anything in the horror martial arts like comedy hybrid genre, and I don't know. Anytime in a martial arts movie when they like the setting or the place. Like you know, they're going to involve some cool props, mm-hmm. and it's just like, what's the what's the uh, the spooky um, horror? Like, what kind of mystic gunk are they going to like mix into this movie to have some cool shit? And there's one point uh, where like Samo Hung is fighting this guy who um, he's like the guy's a real pussy who's like flirting 
uh, with uh, the woman who's to become Sammo Hung's wife, but they're just engaged now, and uh, she is a waitress at her dad's restaurant, and this rich good dude is just coming in there, showing absolutely no respect to Sammo, being like, I know you're getting married, but it doesn't matter, you're, you're a schlub. Like, fuck you, I'm going to flirt with your uh, your bride-to-be. And so they get into a tussle naturally, but this rich guy has like this mystic friend of his who like gives him a berry from his monkey. And so he can like, he's like instructing the monkey like to move around and the guy is doing the monkey moves in a fight. So the guy's like chimping out, like acting like a monkey while he fights Samo. It's fucking crazy. And there's a point where there's like this demon woman that like she like sort of possesses like Samo at a point. There's just, I don't know, a lot of fun like crazy antics like that. Uh, wild time. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. I, I had a great time watching you say that while playing with Scooter at the same <laughs> time. And it's like every time you move your hand away from her mouth, she goes crazy like a baby <laughs> needing her bottle. You know what I mean? She needs count, constant something to bite on she's a she's in a rare form this episode yeah. it's cute though it's cute uh, as i alluded to earlier i have been watching the wire with jt we just wrapped up season one and it's uh you know you don't need me to tell you that the wire is a great <laughs> show but it is definitely the most like impactful viewing i've been doing over the last few weeks and i don't know the the line that we talked about the the cop versus criminal line that we see in movies from people like michael mann or john woo or take your pick of the great crime directors uh is so in-depth here, you know, the, the first season in particular. And at the same time, I'm also, you know, lightly reading through David Simon's book, Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets. And it's crazy how much of that book comes through in The Wire, despite there being a TV show based on that book <laughs> as well. Uh, but in terms of the the even-handed procedural element. You know, we talk about man or we talk about other filmmakers who are action filmmakers that are, fill their movies with procedure. This mo this television show, let me get that straight, oh. uh, mm -hmm. is like, yeah, I, I love how even-handed the procedural aspects of it are. You know, you have uh, all of the detail you could possibly want about, you know, homicide detectives on a specific uh, long game case. And you also have that about the drug dealers and that, that environment and the process therein. And of course, also you have the character work on both sides of it. You know, you have such incredibly like real but larger than life characters on both sides of it. Such incredible performances all around. I mean, like, I'm not the first to say it. Fucking Obama would say it, too. It's like... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that was like... Eddie's just catching up on the Obama 2008 <laughs> pop culture exactly, list. Exactly, yeah. Jib-jab. Jib-jab. <laughs> but no, I, I just think it's like... As good as advertised, I guess, to, <laughs> to put yeah. it lightly. Uh, and I, I just think that the, uh, yeah, it just scratches that procedural itch that you need as well as filling in such a big picture thing. It's like, yeah, you're not going to get a crime every episode, you know, solved every episode. It's actually one every season and maybe it's not going to be solved. And maybe that's more of a statement than anything. But I think the procedural chops are so deeply embedded into the show that the big picture stuff just kind of like, even if that 
takes the forefront, the procedural stuff just comes so naturally uh, that it's just incredibly watchable. And also, we've been watching it in proper aspect ratio, which means in standard def, which is kind of annoying because it's like I, I previewed the HD restoration. I pulled it up on HBO Max, and it does look quite crisp, and the colors are more defined, but it's cropped down to 16 by 9, and it's like... What are we doing here? The same thing with the shield. Like I watched the shield in sixteen by nine because mm-hmm. that's how I started it. I wasn't. I was two seasons in when I realized I was watching it in the wrong oh, aspect no. ratio. Uh, but I think the shield crop works a little better. Yeah. Uh, the the wire crop. I was looking at some side by sides, and I don't know. It's it's rough. I, I mean, I think you've chosen the righteous path with the wire. You yeah. know, continue to walk down it, but it is like. Yeah, with the shield. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't know that too, and I'm I'm watching the shield so that. Kind of takes the wind out of my sails a little bit, yeah. but I think I am going to continue. Well, both using- shows had something of an open mat where it's like yeah. they they did expand the sides of the frame a little for the sixteen by nine. So it's like you're not getting you're not losing as much information as like a pure four three to sixteen by nine yeah. crop, but it is it's pretty rough sometimes. I you know I after our off pod watching of Americans featuring Sean Penn and uh, Bob Ritchie, otherwise known as Kid Rock. Uh, uh, I had like born free stuck. I'm like the way kid rock is singing it at the bar. Yeah. Kind of like I was born free, like kind of, you know, like that. And then, uh, I watched, um, the pilot of the shield again with a, with a friend and the ba with ba outro. And it's just like, it's like, damn kid rock, kid rock has some songs. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all I got to say. We'll be right back on extended clip. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be here last Friday. I was beginning to think I'd have to find somebody else. You are here for the job, aren't you? You must be Wayne. Yes. And you're Lyle from Dallas, right? real knowledge yes i am always <laughs> getting real knowledge i have real knowledge but okay. i i wish you get real knowledge yeah how where do you think it comes from man <laughs> I, you I gotta find it, it somewhere <laughs> i i just I, I think it up it's like mental mental reps or anything you like you think that. up you're your knowledge. inventing the knowledge <laughs> i'm not inventing it but i'm conjuring it our next uh, film is The Conjuring by yeah. James Wan. For Hall- hey, Halloween's around the corner. It is. We actually, yeah, we, we should program a horror movie, but hey, we'll, we'll think about it. Yeah. Um, Red Rock West, the 1993 film by John Dahl, is uh, highly touted as one of the kind of like underrated 90s crime films. Uh, it has a bit of a cultish reputation. It had a weird release where it... Didn't really uh, fare too well with most uh, distribution companies that took a look at it. Uh, I guess like the producers of the film weren't even there at the premiere because they didn't really want much to do with it anymore. And HBO snatched it up and it actually like played on HBO and was about to come out on video before it had some festival screenings where the guy who runs, I guess, the Roxy Cinema in San Francisco was like, wait just a second. Let me screen this at my little rep house, you know? Uh, and it ended up being like 
a weird kind of a, I, I don't even know how to describe the sensation where it had it played on HBO while it was breaking like second run theater records in San Francisco, New York, and LA, which I feel like is a phenomenon that could not possibly happen today. No, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't know this was this is an underground classic. That, you yeah. know, the underground uh, propped it up and you know made sure it plays on HBO still to this day. But uh, you know, I po- I pitch I I can't speak, but I picked this movie. Mostly because I'm a fan of John Dahl. Like, I like a lot of his movies. Particularly, I like the movie Joyride with Paul Walker and Steve Zahn about um, these two brothers who are on a road trip who kind of, like, decide to fuck with truckers on the ham radio, pretending, you know, they're like a hot girl. And then eventually the truckers, they come they come to collect. It and sounds awesome. Uh, you know, they're kind of pissed off that they got pranked. It, yeah, it's, it's a great movie. And, like... Uh, I think he has another one with Val Kilmer called Kill Me Now or something like that or Kill Me Something. He also has The Last Seduction, which is good. True. I've never seen that, actually. I need to I need to knock that off my list. But, like, I, I kind of – I looked at Dahl as, like, kind of someone who's kind of, like, underrated, had kind of, like, these tightly wound kind of crime films that are obviously, like, kind of noir, um, detective novel inspired. And this one here, Red Rock West, you know, you kind of – I don't know, take his usual antics and preferences and you kind of transform them or uh, take them rather to, you know, like this, you know, bumfuck Western town, middle of nowhere in like Wyoming. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I, I didn't love this movie, but it's like, I think it had enough of um, kind of like the usual noir pleasures to kind of mm-hmm. keep me satisfied. Kind of like, you know, the dark rooms, the the shady characters, you know, and stuff like that. I like, I like the setting. I think it's a movie that's pretty well shot, but it's like, it's also a movie that kind of has all that stuff. And then it kind of doesn't really do much with it. I would say. Yeah. It's a very bare bones, but not quite like purposefully minimalistic uh, neo-noir. It is kind of a fusion of a noir and a Western. uh, And I think that is more interesting than it is successful, I guess. (laughs) Because like the, the more like out on the range kind of like open spaces and traveling stuff of a Western isn't really done here. It's more of just the desert setting and uh, kind of the, the archetypes uh, and like the, you know, the sheriff being the big man in town kind of thing. (laughs) But uh, so to set up this film, we have Nicolas Cage as Michael, a man looking for work as so many people are at the beginning of movies. (laughs) Uh, We see in the opening credits, he's got a bum leg and living out of his car. And we kind of see this like daily, it's kind of annoying to, you know, talk about like quote unquote tropes or whatever. But I often hate when movies have like opening credits where the main character is doing like what seems to be their daily morning routine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless it like plays a part in the film. It's like, I don't know. It feels like you could do a little better than that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he is, his character is set up as a man full of integrity. You know, he, he's a man who he has to be forthright about his leg injury when this job is being offered to him. And so he can't take the job because of his leg injury. And then his buddy who tried to set him up with the job tries to give him some money. He won't take the money. He goes to a gas station where the attendant is deaf and he can easily steal what's in the register. And he doesn't do it. But then the cycle is broken uh, very shortly thereafter when he meets uh, 
what's his name, J.T. Walsh's character, uh, Wayne, who is both the owner of a bar and the sheriff of a town, who mistakes him for a contract killer he had hired, who is later then revealed to be Dennis Hopper, uh, Lyle from from Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. (laughs) And so he had hired this guy to kill his wife, and, of course, the wife uh, doesn't want to die and <laughs> will no. gladly put up some money to reverse the favor. And that setup is pretty much, uh, you know, leads to its logical conclusion over the course of 95 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about like once that kind of dynamic gets set up where it's like, uh, you know, Cage's integrity kind of keeps him there. Right. You know, instead of just, you know, he's not a killer. He doesn't want to kill the wife, you know, so he offers her. um like a thing, you know, like, like I'll go kill the husband. And at that point he, you know, he wants to leave, right. He yeah. goes, tries to leave town and then he, you know, runs this guy over. So he takes him to the hospital. This guy's got bullets in his stomach. So, you know, they think they might've killed him. You know, it sets off like a whole thing to where he has to like stay there essentially. And I, th- I thought that was kind of going to be kind of like the general kind of conceit, kind of like this haze that cage is kind of like lost. And I think it is maybe to an extent, but like, you know, kind of like him just unable to leave, you know, this desolate town and like him kind of getting caught up in, uh, you know, this personal drama. And that happens to an extent, but like in a very like literal way and not in like the cosmic way, maybe I was looking for yeah. and like, and like, um, and yeah, I, like I, I, I like, uh, with this movie, it, like it, it kind of, it really just, it moves. There really isn't really like a lot of, downtime reflection it kind of just it really kind of keeps its plot humming or whatever in a movie that it feels like maybe some reflection could be pretty useful Mm. i'm not sure yeah i mean i like the pacing of it but i also understand where you're coming from i think it could be maybe fleshed out a little more uh rather than just its direct a to b plotting it's weird because i usually like a weak script is never like much of a problem for me but i feel like this is more of like I don't know, trying to, to play it by the book, like a more standard like genre riff kind of a thing. And I think it would be uh, improved upon by like a lot more specificity or like with what you're saying, like time to reflect. Like for me, I think the biggest draw going into this was like, oh, okay, like Cage and Hopper. Like these are mm-hmm. uh, two fellas I like a lot. I want to see them play. Like how are they going to how are they going to act together and mix it up? And I think Cage's character has like a decent bit of stuff to work with, especially being like the classic man with integrity. But Hopper, I feel like winds up being like falling into like a very like a classic mode of a of a Looney Tune man just shouting a lot. Uh, that where I feel like it could have been like I don't know. At, at various points in the movie, I was thinking about like more interesting avenues it yeah. could have gone down and that's this, the thing because i don't think it's like bad it's just yeah. like it leaves so much on the table that could have been made it like really good and like same thing with the laura flynn boyle character as well like i True. just felt like that was like i don't know cage and then some of the basic like premise stuff are like exciting and like definitely kept me invested and in it but i don't know there, there are other places it should have gone i think that's a very good point jt i think this is like a movie that like you know, isn't bad, but you think of just different versions of this movie mm-hmm. that'd be more 
entertaining and like yeah it is interesting kind of like the cage and you know as much as hopper yells it's a pretty subdued performance from him yeah it's really not until like all four of the leads are like in a car together with 20 minutes left that hopper goes like full crazy man dennis hopper mode if anything kind of jt walsh kind of gets more meat to chew on and you know kind of like uh i don't know just uh like I, I like the opening bar scene, you know, it's like, you know, are you Lyle or whatever? And kind of like, kind of like the darkness of like the bar and the back room kind of feels a little bit more pronounced, a little bit more stylish, like a little more noirish. And like, I, I guess yeah, I have a desire for kind of more of those flourishes, but like kind of to focus on the positive, I think like, I think in terms of like cage, it does like, it's not the most interesting performance, but it's like, I don't know. There's, there's definitely things to like from him here, you know? And it's like, it's almost when he kind of ramps it up, it's like where he kind of loses me, the random moments where he has to, mm-hmm. to yell, but also just a random, you know, no, it's like, I really like the je- the jean jacket he wears throughout the movie. Like it's cool. Like, yeah. I, I guess it's cool. It's not even that, but it just like, for some reason it just kind of fits. I don't know. The jean jacket was a good show with the ra- the rawhide collar or whatever. Like I there's something about his character that it fits. It's like, there's something kind of like generic to the character that kind of like, like that could work as like, I don't know, the, the town kind of revolving around him and him kind of reacting mm-hmm. to like, uh, you know, some of the other characters. But like I said, that doesn't quite happen. It's, it, it's a very A to B movie, as you said. I do like the vagueness of the the sense of place and time in yeah. this movie because, you know, a lot of the cars are older and I was thinking like, is this a period thing? Like even like 20 years back, you know, and then, uh, you know, just with all these barren landscapes, you, you don't really have much of a grip on it. And I like the shock of when he goes to the second gas station he goes to, which is just like a Chevron with the classic neon and all the modern snacks and stuff that he's yeah. buying in it. And it, I, I kind of like that whiplash that you get realizing, oh, well, yeah, of course, this isn't a period piece. This is just like people with older cars, like people who aren't exactly living it up. Uh, you know, Cage is looking for work and living out of his whatever 70s Cadillac or whatever that is. Uh, and uh, I, I, I like that aspect of it. I like the way that the nighttime stuff is shot the exteriors it almost has a, a look similar to a lot of day for night stuff where it has that blue feeling toward it yeah. uh, even though it looks like it was actually shot at night uh it, other than the uh the graveyard that's used as a shootout at the end is actually shot on a sound stage uh which is like I, I actually really liked that. It was the most artificial looking thing in the movie mm-hmm. and maybe felt a little out of place, but in a vacuum, I do really enjoy that setting for a climax. Well, that, that scene is kind of where like kind of the tensions that have kind of been implied throughout the movie are actually kind of felt, I yeah. would say like, yeah, cause it is like, like, I, I guess if you're going to do a direct thing, it's like, I kind of want the more kind of, uh, the classic elements of that to maybe be just better or more present or whatever, like something like with like, I don't know, like tension or like feeling kind of like the need to escape from a dangerous situation. It's, I, it does, I don't, there's like, even in urgent situations, I, I, some, some of the urgency isn't quite sold to me, but once we get to that graveyard scene and maybe it's like, you know, everyone's pointing guns at each other. Maybe it's because everything kind of coming to roost is what's, getting me going but it is like uh i like uh, that's where you kind of see the square dynamic the four characters kind of like and like how they've been like maybe fooling each other all that stuff it kind of comes to a head and it produces you know kind of the tension that i've been looking for yeah i think like i don't know 
and again, I don't mean to like just talk about parts of the movie where it's like I wish yeah. they would have done something <laughs> different with yeah. it. But I like I enjoyed a lot of it while I like I was watching it and just like have left sort of thinking about like, oh, what? How did they how do you get out of this one? Because I was like, I wanted Cage and Hopper to spend a little bit more time together there mm-hmm. and sort of have that tension of him like uh, obviously had having lied about being Lyle. But I was like, oh, how did they escape or how did how did they split? And I remember that like little set piece where like Cage uh, hops out of the bar and yeah. is just sort of like on top of the building and sneaks off on like. Onto Dwight Yoakam's truck. Yeah. yeah. Didn't mean to scare you. Hey, did I look scared to you? What the hell are you doing on my truck? Well, I was just trying to ditch my old lady. You were what? Yeah, she called me in the barn. I wasn't supposed to be there. She started sprouting horns and shit. Bullshit. Bullshit. Look at that uncontrolled response to bullshit. I hate when that happens. Yeah, I don't like it either, but I just had to get the hell out of there. So you come out and climbed up on my truck? Yeah. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but you've never met my wife. I think the movie kind of starts out kind of strong in like as you kind of meet these characters... And then once the characters are there, you're like, all right, where where are we going now? Yeah. But it's like I like I like the Dwight Yoakam like little interlude, right? And oh, that's great. Little riffing they have or whatever. And Nick Cage lines like, I got to get away from my wife, just lying out of his ass, and Yoakam just kind of like accepting it or whatever. And uh, this was his film debut too, really, Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, and he supplied the end credit song as well. Oh. And also, I read online, and this could be just like you know self-mythologizing but apparently <laughs> he brought his own pistol to set for that character Ooh. like that's, that's that's actually his gun that's some fucking chimino shit right yeah. there right <laughs> actual then you know in like uh deer hunter they had the bullets in yeah the, um that's you know i i see yokum receiving a lot of gruff for being ugly <laughs> and, and, and cry macho and it's you know that's a little rude that's all i gotta say about that <laughs> it's like with what you're saying about like Yoakum and then like sort of the chase stuff, it's like I like these individual moments, but I just feel like they don't add, like they don't yeah. build anything all that consistent. Yeah, there's something. I guess it's like there, in terms of like tone and flow, there's something off about this movie in yeah. in in a way that just doesn't connect. But like all the like the table dressing of it, I think is like you know good to even you know really good. But it's like. I, I guess like the bones of the movie it just doesn't quite uh, add up to a human to me or something like that. <laughs> I agree. This is an anti-humanist film. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm giving it half a bolt. No, just no. kidding. Uh, no, I thought this was solid. It's like, yeah, yeah it, it's just, I'm less enthusiastic about it than I would be some other movies that I would give this score of three bullets because yeah. I feel like there's a lot of potential that just goes unfulfilled here. But the good stuff is really good. And uh, yeah, I think like that the the moments that Cage and Hopper share together are very strong. Uh, I think that JT Walsh really gives his all in this one. I don't think I've really seen him go this hard before. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's like a generally, it's not like all too stylish, but it's a very handsomely shot film. And uh, yeah, three bullets for me. Yeah, I kind of, I, I, I'm sorry for being so negative today, you know what I mean? But I just, I couldn't 
Cause it's like, I like the good stuff is good, but I feel like there's not much to talk about in regards yeah. to that. So it's, I guess I, I got my nitpicker out, you know, but uh, two and a half bullets. What about you? Um, I'm going three bullets, dirty movie, good time. Probably not going to watch it again. Yeah. I think it's, this is me. My reaction to this is kind of like expectations where it's like John Dahl had the sleeper hits, like, you know, a movie you expect not to be as good. And it's like, Oh, this is like, you know, this is really good, I guess, yeah. or just like, like really like uh savvily made or, you know, there's certain aspects to the movie that are kind of like subtle, but that make it so much better. And it's like, I guess maybe, you know, I'd bought so much stock in John Dahl autourism. Like, well, I'm like, he can't miss. And like, for me, it's like, it's not a complete miss, but I was just like, it had the opposite where it's like, you know, instead of finding a, a diamond in the rough, I found, you know, I you could finish the rough. that. I could found I found the rough, and I found I found a good chunk of bronze, <laughs> bronze in the rough. And you're like, I guess that's not the worst, but okay, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> uh, so I believe we do have an email this week. You can always email us at extendedclippodcast at gmail dot com. And I say always, but you can really only email us for another like month and a half. So get them in while you can before the podcast implodes. Uh, this one actually comes from Ryan, who used to email us all the time. Uh, yeah. And you know, I'm not I'm not going to hold his absence against him or anything like that. He could be building a life for himself. Exactly. During this time, we d- we didn't even know it. Ryan, send us some picture of your wife and kids. Or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he oh god I, I hadn't read this one yet uh anyway let's i'll just read it it's time to say goodbye well when i first heard the show was ending i couldn't believe it but then i remembered the ruthless 1948 malignant 2021 cancel culture we all are living under it came for directors like woody allen podcasters like virgil texas and movie oh mogul god. harvey weinstein <laughs> now we can add the name extended clip to their ranks <laughs> Seriously, if divine, all-powerful God himself told me it was my choice between resurrecting all the COVID dead or just getting a single extra week of extended clip, I know what I'm choosing. Uh, oh, that's touching. That's touching. I'm yeah. so glad you care so much about all the dead people. Uh, bye now, he says. Well, thanks, Ryan. I guess. Yeah, that's that, sweet. Yeah. yeah. In his own way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I haven't picked the movies for next week. Bye. Sensitive thugs, y'all all need hugs.